Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And at that point, I got really infatuated with startups. And I figured the best way to learn about them is to join one. So I joined a mortgage lending startup in L.A., I've said it before, but my first real job was as a business analyst for Capital One, a role I got by essentially spamming all of the organizations in my university's graduate program handbook. It's a route into consumer lending that will sound familiar. In fact, if my friends are listening as often as they say they are, it's a route into consumer lending that I know many of you have taken yourselves. A tried and tested first step on the ladder that will hopefully take you to a senior management role in a bank or big international lender. But I've recently joined a startup. Confirm you, we gamify credit scores for the unbanked. Check us out in episode 24. But yeah, joining a startup got me thinking more about the entrepreneur's route into the industry. Surely it's got to be the polar opposite of mine. Well, not always. Today I speak to Alec Koenig, who also started his journey into lending as a business analyst at Capital One. But then Alec took proactive steps to get himself into the startup stream. And after helping shape a firm into the BNPL powerhouse that it is today, he struck out on his own with Settle, a fintech that's rewriting bill payment solutions and using the data they create in the back end to make providing working capital to those same customers frictionless. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Alec, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And I might be preempting our conversation a little, but congratulations on a big month with Settle's second birthday and a recently closed Series B. So you must be feeling pretty good. You know, a little gift and a curse when you raise a lot of money. Another way of looking at that is you're selling a chunk of your company. So it's kind of funny how we celebrate these moments, but that just means the bar is higher for us and now we have to build a bigger business. Yeah, I suppose so. A bit more responsibility. Now, Settle is going to be the focus of our chat today, but let's start by taking a few steps back with a quick introduction to yourself and your background in lending. Yeah, so uh, I studied mechanical engineering in college. After doing four years of research, I knew I wanted to do something else. So I started applying to any job possible, and I kind of stumbled my way into interviewing at Capital One. So they hired me as a business analyst. I had no idea what that meant, but nevertheless, I joined, and they put me in the auto lending credit risk management group. So for two years there, I spent forecasting auto losses and then switched into personal loans on the credit side. And my last two years at Capital One, I switched to retail bank accounts. So primarily on the overdraft side. And at that point, I got really infatuated with startups. And I figured the best way to learn about them is to join one. So I joined a 
small non-QM mortgage lending startup in LA. Did that for about a year and a half. And then I found my way to a firm. I was just very fortunate that they were looking for someone like me and I was looking for someone like them. So I was the first credit hire at a firm when I was about 50 people and stayed there for four years and grew into the head of credit role there. And at that point, uh, I always wanted to start my own company. I just never felt ready. But about three years into a firm, I felt like, okay, I feel like I know what I need to do. Just learning from Max and others at a firm. And that's when I decided to make the, take the leap and start Settle. So you and I have actually shared a first job as a business analyst at Capital One. Albeit I was there about seven years before you and about 8,000 miles further south. But when I moved from Capital One, it was to join another card issuer. And as you said, when you left, it was to get into that startup space. When you made that move from traditional finance to alternative finance, did that change the way you thought about lending at all? Yeah, I think so. You know, just the scale of the company, you know, at Capital One, if you made a 2% improvement, you know, that had a big impact to the bottom line. But at a startup, when you have five customers or 100 customers, then 2% doesn't really do anything for you. So instead of just focusing on risk and credit, you really have to focus on like, hey, I need to focus on customer acquisition because if we don't have any customers, then we won't have any business to underwrite. So you try to do more than you might have been hired for. Wear multiple hats just because you, you know, you feel like you're a big part of the company and an owner of the company. So I think at Privlo, which was the startup right after Capital One, I was probably doing, you know, seven different jobs uh, just because I felt like those jobs needed to be done. Uh, so you definitely take a little bit more, I think, aggressive approach to it than just trying to analyze a bunch of data to figure out what's the best decision for the company to make. Now it's like, hey, you have no data. So try to get customers that are good risk into the funnel. And yeah, from there you went to a firm early in a firm's life. So you were kind of right at the start of that buy now, pay later wave that's so ubiquitous now. It surely would have been easy to spin off a different variation of a consumer buy now, pay later. You had all the credentials, the experience, and the market was hot for BNPL. But that's not what you've done with Settle, is it? You focused on lending to businesses. What was the inspiration to make that move? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And even when I was at a firm, I always thought, hey, why don't we just do this in some international variation of the product where there's less competition and more white space? We know how this all works and what we need to do. So like, why don't we just you know, go to another country and just do it? But from my personal perspective, doing the same thing over and over again gets quite tedious and doesn't really expand the mind. So that's why during Capital One, you know, I'd switch business lines every two years, uh, just because I think that's how you really learn by diving into a new space that you know very little of. That will accelerate the learning curve. So my background, it's all been consumer uh, along the way. And what I don't know really interests me. And uh, I was really interested in the business side of things. But the reality of the settle was I was using this like accounts payable software. And I just thought it was the worst product ever used. So I was like, hey, why don't we just build better accounts payable software? But I knew just given how competitive the landscape was, if we just built a prettier one, it wouldn't be good enough. You really need to build products that are 10x better, not just 1x better. So that's when I was thinking about my background and credit and lending. So I was thinking, well, if we could combine this accounts payable software with lending, 
then we could actually make the product 10x and actually help these businesses out instead of just saving them a few hours a week. So that's what sent me on that path. I interviewed a bunch of companies, try to like prove out that, hey, there's actual problem here. And uh, once I felt comfortable from talking with enough businesses, that's what set us off along this path. And pausing now on Settle, what does it look like to work with Settle? What is the business model actually? Yeah, so we're first and foremost accounts payable software. So what that comprises of is ingesting invoices from their vendors, parsing all that data to enable one-click paying scheduling. So then we'll process that payment on behalf of the customer for business to business. And then at the end of that, we'll sync all that information into their accounting software. So for businesses, any type of money movement needs to be accounted for. So by combining all these three different tools into one, you know, we really save a lot of time for them. And then because we're sitting on all this data from the customer, as you mentioned, the payments data, but then also their banking information, their accounting data, that gives us a starting point to underwrite these customers and give them working capital. So effectively, if a customer chooses, we could pay their vendor for them with settles money. And then our customers could pay us back at a later point, let's say 30 to 120 days later. And the reason why companies do this, especially in the vertical that we're working with, mostly e-commerce companies, all these e-commerce companies have the exact same issue where they have this big cash flow gap from buying inventory to turning that into revenue. They need to pay their vendors before they get revenue from it. By floating them, that vendor payment, now they could pay us back with the revenue. And thus, this helps them become more cash efficient and help them scale quicker. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. Let's get back to the show. So I think a shining example is when we launched, which was in the middle of COVID, the shift from offline retail to online retail created a lot more demand for these merchants, and they just didn't have the supply in stock to meet that demand. So they were able to use us to buy more inventory so they could actually meet that demand and thus generate more revenue for themselves and become more profitable. And I think one spin of that, which I really like, is your card that finances marketing activities. Technically, I suppose it's not that different to finance working capital or to finance marketing, but it feels to me like traditionally we would have funded things that we could see, stock machinery, that sort of thing. But if I can finance stock, why can't I finance future growth that will be enabled by adverts? And yeah, that's an interesting take for me. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, when we started off, we didn't have this virtual card for marketing spend. So it was all these invoice-based payments. And, you know, we're doing payments with ACH, wires, checks, and whatnot. But when we're analyzing these businesses, we noticed that, like, hey, after an inventory, you know, marketing is really their second biggest expense. We just weren't touching that. And as we were starting talking with these brands, we saw that for, like, marketing on Facebook and Google and others, they need to put a credit card on file with them that just gets charged daily for the amount of marketing they do on those platforms. So we saw that as a gap. So it was like, hey, well, we could spin up a virtual card, allow them to put our card onto their Facebooks and Googles, and then we could finance that for 60 days. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And it's, it's not that different than just them using their corporate card. But one thing that we definitely saw was the credit limits on their corporate card just weren't there where they need to be. So just more of this, you know, old school underwriting. But for us, since we're already analyzing these businesses and we could deem that they're good credit risk or bad credit risk, we're like, hey, we could take a bigger bet on them and actually give them a card that adds a higher limit and thus actually, you know, acquire more customers. That's the kind of approach we took there where the biggest differentiator, I think, is just the the size of the credit limit. How are you measuring the risk of a loan? Do you need your customer to fill out some forms, extract some credit data, or is everything you need to make your lending decision coming from the software, coming from the back end. Yeah, that's right. We already have the data on the customer to underwrite them through their bank account, through their payments, through their accounting software. So that's the approach we take where we're just continuously underwriting the customer in the background. And the key for me was to remove as much friction as we can from it. So that's why everything happens in the background. You know, we're definitely doing it a lot, both automatically and manually, but to the customer, it seems very frictionless. And our approach to that really makes this all work. So that's, you know, the secret sauce. And, you know, if our underwriting was subpar, then none of this really works. So as long as we can make it as frictionless as we can, then, you know, that's what makes it painless to these customers. Because if you talk to them, ask them, you know, what they need to do to get a little bit more traditional financing, it just really takes weeks, a lot of documentation, a lot of calls, a slog. And that just distracts those founders away from growing their business and what they're good at. So effectively, we're trying to take the brunt of raising the capital since we raise our own debt. And then we'll distribute that to our customers in a very uh, simple and transparent way. And it seems, at least from the comments that I've been reading online, that your customers are really benefiting from this in ways that make a big difference to their businesses. Yeah, you know, we're definitely helping these companies scale quite a bit. Not only are we you know, decreasing their cash conversion cycle so they could just build cash on their side, which is important to them. You know, if we could actually get these customers to a negative cash conversion cycle, then cash will just build. But I think more importantly, we're able to like double to triple a company's revenues. And then, you know, company could either take that money to reinvest or they could parlay that into, you know, raising a larger venture round, which then they could hire more people, potentially introduce new products and continue building the brand out there. I think that's definitely the best feedback we've gotten. And in some cases, customers have staved off venture capital completely because like, hey, now I don't need to raise money for inventory or for marketing. So I could use this debt solution, working capital solution to meet that. And hey, I'll never have to raise another venture round again. And thus, I could keep more ownership of the company. So it just really depends on the route they want to take to grow their company. And given all the changes in the supply chain, where everything is delayed a little bit longer than people would like, now we're actually helping these companies survive because they might be adding 30 or 60 days to their cash conversion cycle. But with us, 
hey, that's not going to change. You might have to pay a little bit more financing fees, but your cash isn't going to change too much because of it. And Settle is obviously growing too as a business. We mentioned it right up front, but with this Series B that you've just closed, you brought it up to $100 million raised for a company that's only just turned two. That's a really impressive feat. And, and you've got very big names behind you, so it's not just that you've raised the funds. It's been raised from, from VCs that will know what they're looking for. So, yeah, how, how did that how did that happen, I guess? <laughs> Our seed round, which was about at November of 2020, we really wanted to make sure we had semblance of traction and product market fit. So I think after we acquired about 40 customers or so and started to see the product work, that's when I, I just try to put a deck together, try to get in front of as many VCs as I could in a short amount of time. I think we try to structure everything in two weeks. Uh, while that definitely put a toll on me, I think I was a zombie at the end of that, raising around by yourself and also running the business at the same time. Kind of left me with no hours left in the day to do anything else. So very thankful to my wife for taking care of me during that time. There, we really chose a partner we really want to work with. Keith Raboy at Founders Fund. We did not take the highest valuation. We just really focused on what partner and what firm do we want to work with. And the next round was really, really only a few months later, I think in March, but we're just growing so quickly. We kind of needed more capital to make the business work. And so that's when we chose to work with Kleiner Perkins. It's actually a firm that we were really close to choosing at the seed round. So I really wanted to work with Monica and Mamoon because they understand B2B SaaS much better than I do. And, you know, I've never grown a company at that stage. So really wanted partners on the board to help me think through things correctly. So that's when we chose to work with them. And Ribbit was kind of the same situation where we're just growing so quickly. We needed more capital. And the person I really wanted on the board was Nick Shalik from Ribbit. So again, we didn't take the highest valuation, but we really focused on the partner that could help grow our business. Now, you put yourself onto the startup path seven years ago now with that job at Privlo. So you've had some experience working in small, early stage ventures, and you left a firm with that in mind. But now that you're actually running your own successful business, how different is it being that business owner? What have you learned about being an entrepreneur? It's definitely been a lot of fun, definitely a lot of work, more work than I could have imagined. But when you hear you know, the impact you're having on these customers, it definitely motivates you to continue putting in that work. And for me, as a founder and CEO, you know, my job definitely changes probably every three to six months. So I just need to be cognizant of that. So you know, initially, it's about building the product. Then the next phase is really acquiring the customers and servicing those customers. And then it really goes into hiring and recruiting the right people to join the team. And I definitely think, it is definitely bigger than myself now. So if we hire the best people, then we will have the best outcome. And the last thing I'd want to do to really talented people is put handcuffs on them or micromanage them. So it's really about just giving them buy into the vision, the strategy, how we get there. And now like, hey, you take us there. So that's the approach I take there. And I, I do believe, you know, if we're able to attract the best of the best, then we'll definitely win out in the long run. And now, you know, that I've given away all the jobs to be done to other people around the team, people that are better than I could be individually at that. And now it's really about let's continue to scale the team and align the company now that we're 45 people instead of three and just grow from there. And during that time, you know, raise capital just to make sure we have the runway ourselves to accomplish everything we need to do. 
And because we're a lending business as well, not only are we raising venture money, then we're also raising debt. So it just further compounds the amount of work to be done. So now I just need to be cognizant now that, you know, we're going from 45 people to 100 people next year. How do I need to change my role to make sure the company is, uh, is meeting its potential? And so I see you've already got offices around the U.S. and in the Ukraine. Where, where do you grow to next? Are you consolidating in the U.S., getting that all up to scale there first or uh, looking at new markets or new products? First and foremost is accelerating on the core product in the U.S. That's where all of our merchants are today. We definitely pay a lot of vendors internationally, given that's where a lot of the inventory is produced for these companies. So first and foremost, reinvesting and continuously to grow the core product. But one area that we're really investing in right now is on the accounts receivable side as well. So our core product is you know paying vendors. But as we pay these vendors, we require them onto the platform. But we're really not giving them any product outside of that. So now it's really about, hey, can we build product for these vendors, these AR solutions so they could you know, use us there. And hopefully through that, we could see that growth loop where we could acquire vendors and then just continue to accelerate our customer acquisition and the problems to be solved there. I think we'll definitely always have to make a decision, you know, when do we expand internationally? That's Canada, UK, Australia, or other countries. So that's something that you know, we'll revisit every six months. Perhaps sometime next year, we'll expand first internationally somewhere with a few partners, but it's really TBD. Right now, the opportunity is just so large in the US that it'd be tough to dedicate resources to not focus on that. Alec, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been really interesting and a pleasure having you. And good luck for the next stage of Settles Growth. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. And thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so already, like, share, and subscribe to the show. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written, hosted, and edited by myself, Brendan LaGrange. The theme tune and show music is by I Am Wake. And you can find show notes, written transcripts, more in-depth articles, and details on how to book me for speaking engagements at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. I'll see you again next Thursday. me again just in case you've had your full of lending talk did you know that i've also published two pulpy action adventure thrillers draken and butterfly hill are both available as ebooks paperbacks and audiobooks from amazon and other online retailers they're not shakespeare but they're not expensive either and ford clarion reviews compare draken to clive Cussler turning raiders of the last ark into a shoot 'em up full disclosure that was in a three-star review so i'm not sure it was meant to be a compliment but I think you get the picture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 